So I was talking to Justin this last week, and um, we were talking about pet peeves. And uh, so one of my pet peeves is when, for the sake of time, the uh, worship leader or song leader says, okay, just do the first and the last. And he just guts, you know, the rest of what the hymn writer uh, had there in this beautiful hymn. That's a pet peeve. Another pet peeve, and I do this all the time, is for the fake, for sake of time, I end the sermon because I've gone long. It's like you just kind of rush through the last number of verses in that chosen text that has been prayerfully, uh, studiously uh, uh, pre- prepared uh, for you. And so I'm going to make a deal with you this, this uh, morning because Justin and I were talking about it. He says, you know, we set out this preaching schedule, this sermon series, and a lot of it is designed for me because I can get a little weary uh, after 12 weeks in a book, and that was originally what we had designed for Ecclesiastes. Now this, again, I know this is counting into my sermon time, and I'm not introducing the message, okay? I'm aware of that. But <clears throat> he said, I think in our congregation it's okay. Just preach through the text if it's 15 weeks, or if we need to take a, a break at Advent, give you a break, give you a break from uh, Ecclesiastes, the preacher, who can be a little depressing, then we take a break, and then we come back to it in the new year. After January, we do a prayer series, focus on prayer, uh, to try to just hang in there as a praying congregation. So here's my deal that I'm going to make with you. This morning at 1130, I'm going to be stepping off of this podium behind the Lord's table. We always conclude with the gospel at the Lord's table. I was talking to someone last week that doesn't celebrate the Lord's table every week as we do. And uh, I said, it's always so easy. You know, the, the, the hardest things in a message are how do you tee it up? How do you introduce it to arrest people's interest? And then how do you systematically treat with all reverence and, 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 and honor to God, bringing His Word to His people in a, in a timely, interesting, heart-arresting fashion. And then, how do, you, how do you conclude? And I said, I've never had any problem with introductions. Yeah, maybe sometimes it's a little hard to arrest people's interest off the, the, the get-go, but never had a problem with concluding because we end with Christ at this table again freshly reminded where our heart's joy is found. We're we're freshly reminded of the true object of my life's love is in Christ. So I'm going to, at 1130, I'm going to step down. And what we don't get through, if you've got the sermon notes that are available on the information table, the kind of the crib notes, um, I'm not looking at that as my mandate to get through them all. If I don't finish this morning these 11 verses, of chapter 2, and you notice I'm talking fast, um, I'm going to make the attempt, then we'll pick it up next week, all right? Or we can stay here for an hour, okay. Um, Solomon starts out, we're in Ecclesiastes, okay? We're, we're marching through Ecclesiastes verse by verse, and I'm really glad that you came back this Sunday if you were with us last Sunday. Uh, Ecclesiastes means kohalath or the preacher. 
And this is a preacher that you would expect to find on a city sidewalk with one of those end is near signs. He burns us down with our expectations this morning that there is a pleasure out there that I'm pursuing, if I gain it, it will satisfy me. And it will satisfy me for a long time. And he burns us down. And he says, no. He says, we will, he says, in the pursuit of all pleasures, verse 1, he found that it was all vanity. Now he starts off by saying, listen, I made a deal with my heart. I spoke to my soul. I spoke to the id. I spoke to my heart. And I said, we're going to go on a quest. And here is the quest. We're going to look at all the pleasures of life and we're going to test them. And we're going to test them completely. The word there for test first comes up in 1 Kings uh, chapter 10 when the queen of Sheba, having heard of the wisdom of Solomon, goes to see for herself and she says, I'm going to test him with questions. And she left, at the end of that chapter, satisfied. This man has wisdom and wealth. This man has relationships. This man has a country and it is governed better than every other country. This man is the king of the known world. This man's the best. She doesn't say whether or not he was satisfied or happy, but that would have been at the beginning of his kingship. The Song of Solomon, which is quite erotic, was written, we believe, at his early age. You know, his first marriage, his first home, his first kingship and only kingship. A lot of firsts going on. Young men. Proverbs, which I long to preach, but not so much. Because Proverbs is, is just nugget after nugget of wisdom. So it's hard to say, alright, we're going to preach Proverbs chapter 1 because you've got verse 1 of Proverbs and, and, and it starts out and you've got a little bit of a theme as it's introduced. But then it gets an altar. Each one is an independent sermon or message subject in itself. It's just filled with it's wisdom literature. is filled with these nuggets of wisdom. Very difficult to preach through Proverbs. That's his middle life. That's when his wisdom is, is most creative and most active and being applied to life circumstance. Every life circumstance. Ecclesiastes is a repentant old man. Ecclesiastes is a man looking back, rather, not just cynically, but he is cynical, looking back and said, I've tried it all. There is nothing, nothing that satisfies me. Enduring satisfaction. It's like vapor. It's like your breath on a cold morning. It's like smoke. I've tested it. And I said, look at each of these pleasures and don't hold back anything. Enjoy it to its depths. And I found that it's in vain. Now I could probably stop right there because uh, a point of application for us is do you believe Him? 
This is God's Word, and it is inspired, and we know it to be true for every application in life, is profitable to us. This is the wisest man that ever lived. Do you believe it? Do you believe it to the degree that you can say to yourself, I don't have to test those pleasures. I don't have to be tempted to enjoy myself to the full, seeking, lasting satisfaction in those pleasures because verse 1 says, I've already done it. I've, I've, listen, this is the best test you'll ever take because I took it for you. And he's saying, if you'll accept me, I'll be your substitute. I've looked at these things. No need to pursue them. No need to run after them with the hope that they will bring you lasting satisfaction because they won't. I actually think that that's good news. Maybe that's because I'm in my older years. It makes sense. But I dare say that there is quite a number of hearts here this morning who are saying, no, no, I mean, Solomon is rather primitive, you know. I mean, he doesn't have the technology or the, the opportunities or the, 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 the open uh, doors or the, the, the pleasures that are withheld before me that promise so much satisfaction. Solomon didn't have those things. Solomon did have those things. In 1 Kings chapter 4, 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 22, I want you to listen to Solomon's menu for one day. For one day. Now this is, this is just one day's meal planning. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour. Footnote says that's six bushels. 60 cores, so that's double that, of meal. 10 fat oxen. Imagine this, visualize this in your mind. 20 pasture-fed cattle, and it's, you know, that, that means something, but keep going. 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebuck, and fattened fowl. Um, and that means those are smaller animals. They're not given a number because they're probably so many they couldn't count them all. Um, that, was, that was the meat provision and the, the flour that went along with that. It's not to count the beverages or the desserts that would go along, but commentators tell us that the estimates are that with these food proportions, it's enough to feed daily ten to 15,000 people. Solomon didn't eat alone. Solomon knew what it was like to host a buffet with lots of people. Solomon could afford to do it. And there was nothing withheld. This is a... This is not just wild game night. This would have been everyone's delicacy of meat, plus everything that went along with that. Paul Solomon 
In other words, the point that I'm making is, if anybody could test to the depths, if he could say, I'm going to test pleasure, he had the resources and the opportunity to do so. Such that we can't just look at him and say, well, I can do what Solomon could not do. I, Solomon didn't have golf. And, and one day, if I can just schedule that time so once a week, 18 holes with my buds, that would, be, that would just be so fulfilling. That would just be so satisfying. And Solomon didn't have golf. Well, he had something else. And we're going to see those something else's in a moment. But he far eclipsed the, by ratios any pleasure that we could exhaust. He far eclipsed that. So we can trust him. We can trust him in his test. Now he had nine pleasures here in these 11 verses that he brings before us. And I'm just going to kind of go through these uh, through the rest of this, this message And in these nine pleasures, I want to ask you a question. And that is, which of these pleasures right now in your life stage are you tempted to test? That you're beginning to put it through its paces. Or you're looking for an opportunity to start putting legs to this with the idea being, if I just do this, or if I just have this, then I will be happy. And again, Blaise Pascal, who I believe, not as wise as Solomon, but I believe him to be the wisest Christian, theologian, philosopher, author, Blaise Pascal, in his pensives, writes to the one that says, Listen, I can take one of these pleasures and I can do it. I can do it. I can can find real satisfaction. I can find meaning. With that pleasure, I can get through life. I can do life if I have that. Blaise Pascal says this, All men, and by that he means mankind, so women as well, seek happiness. This is without exception. I do it too. I seek happiness. Whatever means they employ, they all tend, however, to the same end. The motive of every action of every man is to seek happiness. But failure, by example, teaches us very little. We expect that our hope in this object for happiness, will not be deceived this time. And thus, while the present is not satisfactory to us, experience dupes us, it fools us, and we anticipate for the future, and we go from misfortune to misfortune, and it leads us to death. In other words... The hamster wheel, some of the rums on the hamster wheel are these pleasures. And we say, if I can just get that next rung, if I can just get to that rung and hold on, then I will be satisfied. 
And I do believe that in these nine pleasures that he puts before us, they represent life stages. And you'll see what I mean as we go along. And we will try them out and say, first of all, I'm going to try out joking and jokes. And then when that fails us, we go on to the next one, alcohol. Now, some of these we may do simultaneously. But I do think that there is a progression as he looks back and he tests all these pleasures in his life and to the full, he still comes forward and says, all the evidence in my life shows that they fail to have a lasting, lasting satisfaction. Fleeting, yes. Lasting, no. They're temporary. And what he wanted was something that would last in the evening, through the night, to the morning, eternally. Certainly for all of this life. The nine uh, pleasures that he gives us are jokes, alcohol, art, nature, money and possessions, music, sex, and yes, we're going to talk about sex, um, affirmation, and work. He says in verse 2 that I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure, what use of it we we read down earlier i mean later where it says at the end of verse 8 i got both i got singers singers both men and women we believe that solomon the he certainly had his daily dinners but he also would have certainly had very lavish lavish parties they didn't have tv so they couldn't dial up or Netflix, they couldn't dial up Louis C.K. and watch him. So what Solomon would do is he would hire a comedian. They would have actors. They would have them to act out things, or they would have them to role play, or they would have them to get up and tell stories and tales, but something to make the heart laugh. Proverbs, which Solomon wrote, he said, laughter is good for the bones. And he sought it out, thinking laughter is good for the soul. Pleasure, the very word pleasure, means either joy or mirth. It's a, it's a joy that is, it makes you laugh. It can come to the circumstances of your life, and if one laugh is given, if, if, if you can just laugh, then it puts the other things to rest. And so he said, I, I looked at the depths of laughter. I looked at it. Um, French fry. A French fry walks into a bar. He takes a seat at the bar, and the bartender is at the end, kind of sees him, polishing his glasses, doesn't come over. And finally, French fry says, hey, can I get a drink over here? The bartender looks at him. Uh-uh, we don't serve food here. You see what I mean? Laughter just doesn't quite satisfy, does it? Couldn't have anything to the guy that tells the joke. Yeah, I told that yesterday at a wedding rehearsal, and I got the same response. Um, didn't do anything for them either. He would have had, he would have had, Plenty of folks around him to help with laughter. What do, you, 
you think their jokes were like? What do you think in exploring laughter? What do you think that the, 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 the comedic sketches that they gave were like? What makes you laugh? When I was growing up, the comedians that were on the TV were Red Skelton. Anybody old enough to know Red Skelton? Um, uh, Dick Van Dyke. Uh, Abbott and Costello were a little bit before me. Not much, but they were a little bit before me. Um, Bob Hope, Bing Crosby, guys like that. And Jerry Lewis, who just recently died. And the comedians that really made me laugh, I laughed at them. They would, they would walk across stage and trip, fall on their face, kind of get up and put their hat back on. And uh, Dick Van Dyke, so many times, uh, he would come into a room and fall over a couch. Um, we look at actors as they begin to come uh, through, uh, comedians as they begin to come through time. It's not so much laughing anymore at them and their slapstick, is what it was called, humor, but it begins to become very sarcastic. Kind of like uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Newman. And we begin to see the, the, the sarcasm and the cynicism begin to come into it. So much so that now there seems to be a, a real theme of sarcasm. Humor at someone else's expense. And that will fail to satisfy us. It's not humor that builds up or encourages another person. Or it's not laugh out loud humor when we just, as Christians, think of how, how ironic that I, a rebel and a traitor to God's cause, should be one of His chief worshipers now. Grace abounding to the chief of sinners. <laughs> that is crazy. The plan of salvation is crazy. It's, it's hilarious. It is. It's crazy. Or look at a giraffe. Giraffes make me laugh. I, they just are not anatomically correct. Their head's way up there in the air. That long neck. And I get it that they get to eat the tall leaves. But just giraffes make me laugh. They're funny. Elephants are immensely funny. The, the snake of a, of a thing. But that's not... Solomon would have looked at those things, but he would have gone farther and farther and farther. Writing the Proverbs, he said in, verse, in chapter 25, verse 20, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day, like vinegar on soda. Vinegar on soda doesn't settle it, calm it, it causes a reaction, a violent reaction. When I'm depressed, somebody, even my best friend, coming around, hey, cheer up, come on, hey, let me tell you a joke. Let me tell you, a french fry walks into a bar. Man, that just aggravates me. Or what about sarcasm? What about, what about our joking around and actually other people are the brunt of those? Proverbs 26, like a madman who throws firebrands. That's an arrow on fire. Arrows and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Hey, what are you getting upset about? I'm just, I'm just joking. He found that laughter as a pleasure and the pursuit of it came to a point 
where he said, it's just, it's just madness. It's actually foolish. It's actually, the word there for mad means, it can mean perverse. It's just, you know, laughter goes to a place in the pursuit of it that you see more and more and more. And it can get darker and darker. It can get more and more profane. Why the profanity with comedians, top-notch comedians? Why are they just so profane that we can't let our kids enjoy it? It gets more and more dark. Psalm says, I, I went there and I tested it. And I left it. He then goes on to alcohol, and we'll take that up next week because we're coming up to my point of the deal. But I would, I would like to ask you, as you look at even these first two verses and having outlined these pleasures, that you begin to think of, what is my heart pursuing as a pleasure? And we'll do this next week, and I will cover both of these, I assure you. But next week, we're going to talk a little bit about sex and a little bit about alcohol. Those are two taboos in most churches. People leave churches when preachers start talking about that. Particularly if the preacher starts sharing stories of how, yes, he imbibes. Or he starts talking about uh, how many times even covenant lovemaking in the sanctity of marriage fails to satisfy us. Oh no, we're talking about the two sacred taboos. Every one of these pleasures, every one of these pleasures is acceptable, acceptable to God's creatures when they come in and they're used in the rightful proportion from the Creator. God loves for us to laugh. But there's a, there's a, a, a medium, there's a way to do that. God loves for all... He gave us a heart's desire for all of these pleasures. The best way to look at Ecclesiastes as we continue to march through it verse by verse is this. We're in between Eden and heaven. And we're trying in this life to understand and to make it through. And what he's saying is those pleasures that you're pursuing right now, like a a scavenger hunt, And you're saying, maybe this, and it's over here. No, maybe over here. He's saying, those pleasures in and of themselves, they're not wrong. They're God-giving pleasures. God made you creatures who are made to laugh. It's healthy for the bones. But he's saying, laughter alone will not satisfy you. Because this is not Eden. We live in a broken, fallen world. There's a, there's a reason for the book of Lamentations. There's a reason for those psalms that we, we say, that's my heart's weeping as well. There's a reason for those things. So he's given us these pleasures, and he's saying, it's okay to pursue them, but don't look to them to give you the satisfaction that I alone, your God, can give to you. That's where we're going. The, uh, the table before me 
I, I will say often enough, when I have a privilege to um, hold out the bread and the cup to you as a server, and I, I don't do that very often because I always want to be available to pray for anyone over here, just briefly pray for anyone, or to, to bless them. This is Christ's body for you, and He was not reluctant to die for you. On the night that he was betrayed, after they celebrated the the Passover, he would have led them, because it was the Passover, he would have led them in a final psalm. He was a worship leader. And it wouldn't have been a song of lament. It would have been a a lifting, a soul-lifting song of praise to God. It says in Hebrews 12 that because of the joy set before him, he did not count or calculate into his reasoning the shame of the cross that lay ahead. You were on his mind that night. You, not just those 11 disciples or the others 500 that that had joined him at Sermon on the Mount in various places. You were on his mind. There was no reluctance in his dying for you. In fact, there was a song of joy even as he was going through that process. I know it sounds crazy, and there was a lot of pain and cries of pain. Um, You know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But there was joy yet there also. There was laughter even by his weakness and by the shame that he bore that he conquered our soul's enemy, Satan. And he satisfied the wrath of God. There was even laughter in those harsh circumstances. We can find that same laughter in the circumstances of life to know that it is settled with God now because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't have that, if you don't have that, then let's talk. Because there's nothing. There is no... Comedian, there's nothing funny in this life that is really going to allow you to laugh, and particularly laugh in the future about the future. But with Jesus Christ, we can learn to laugh again. We can learn to laugh no matter what our circumstances are. Let's pray. Father, set apart this cup and this bread from its humble, humble estate and appearance. And make these bits of bread become a loaf. And make that loaf become your body. And make your body become what we really crave and nourish. You inside of us. And take this cup, this thimble of juice, or this chalice of wine. And would you, we don't ask that you turn it into blood. But we ask that when we sip and take it in, it would be like taking complete blood covering for our sin in us. That it would wash and cover all sin. So Father, we need you, Holy Spirit, to do that. So that we take and we come as we are, your body and your blood, on our behalf, as we raise this up for our soul's satisfaction. In Jesus' name, amen.